Now that you're seated, I'd like you all to stand. Those of you who can, stand. Uh, the exercise for this morning is you have to find an individual, you have to give them a hug, and you have to give them a compliment. It cannot be your best friend, it cannot be your partner, and it cannot be your girlfriend or boyfriend. Go. Go do it. Okay, you may be seated. You did that very well and I expected you would from the group of people that is here. But there are certain situations where we go to where we do that to people and it doesn't go over real well. Us Mennonites aren't really good at giving each other compliments, we just aren't. We are not good at showing our affection with each other because we've been taught that we kind of keep that to ourselves. John Maxwell has a great, great thing that he does. He starts out his morning with five pennies in one pocket, and by the end of the day, the other five, the five, five pennies are in his left pocket, and every penny he moved was a, comp, was a compliment that he gave to somebody. And if you start doing that actually, it's actually kind of interesting because if you, you, you might think that's fairly easy, but it's not as easy as you think it is. Because all of a sudden as you go through your day, you have to be intentional and watching other people and looking for opportunities to pass that penny from one pocket to the other. Because I don't believe in just giving compliments where compliments aren't due either. It has to be real. Thank you for what you did. Um, we are going to continue with what we had last night. I kind of struggled with it a little bit, but I felt the leading that we should. And uh, I guess I had a, con uh, a um, how do you say it? Confirmation that I should have, because I saw one of the residents here look at Brother Marlin and say, "Looks like you." <laughs> how many of you think that looks like Brother Marlin? Short, the hair might be a little bit shorter, but <laughs> I've seen him in, in a disarray like that. You've only had a year with him. I've had a lifetime with him. Um, so anyway, happiness versus holiness. Is God really concerned about our happiness? Somebody. Is he? Is he concerned about your happiness? How, how do you know? How do you know he's concerned about your happiness? Praise the Lord. Thank you. Is he more concerned about your holiness than your happiness? Now nobody's talking anymore. You're all quiet. I think that God is involved in our happiness, but he is more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. And sometimes we get this mixed up. In the Mennonite world and the world that we live in, I think sometimes happiness 
is too often, and we talked about this a little bit last night, is too much involved about that green back. And that is not happiness. That is just things. Happiness and being blessed is not about things. It's about what you're doing here. And I love it. You're breathing words of life into each other. I did mess up. I wanted to say you can't do it with your family. Um, some of you cheated a little bit. I wanted you to get out of your comfort zone and you just did it with your family. Um, I, I wanted to say you can't do that, but I forgot it. In Luke 12, 12, 16 through 20, he says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat and drink. Drink and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then, those, then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? He tells us very plainly in Luke 12, 16 through 20, if our focus is on our earthly things, we are fools. And young men, young women, I want you to remember that as you start out your life and looking for something, it's not wrong. It's not wrong to have money, but it is wrong if we focus on that. I'm going to go through these rather quickly. Uh, I was told we want to close at Laban. Um, I'm a little bit concerned. I, I always thought that maybe Leonard and Phil were in charge of this place, but it looks to me like the dietary people are in charge of the place and people need to be fed and scheduled, so uh, I guess we'll listen. <laughs> Matthew, 13, 20, Matthew 13, 22. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitful of richness choke the word and become unfruitful. Here's another scripture that I have just found in my last six months of my life that I find it interesting that most of the times when we talk about the parable of the seed and the sower, you don't hear this part of it. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches joke out God's word. I like how Brother Leonard is quiet for a little bit to get everybody's attention. I worked at a, uh, the Chillicothe Courthouse. We put in all the judges' benches and the, all the pews and everything. One day as I was setting pews, uh, as the print told us, I noticed that this is not going to work. The pews were like 10 inches apart per the print. So I called the head designer lady and I said, hey, this is, I don't think this is going to work. What are we going to do about it? And he said, she said, let me get all the judges, judges in. There was three judges in the courthouse and the head judge was there and I was kind of excited to be able to talk to the head judge there. You always have kind of preconceived notions of who somebody is. And as we were working through this and deciding what to do, the head judge 
looked at me and he said, in a very soft-spoken voice, he was like, well, we don't want people to be comfortable in here. We don't want people to be sitting in these pews. He said, I guess we'll just leave it. And as we were walking out, I looked at the judge and I said, sir, I said, it's kind of interesting to me that you're so soft-spoken and you're a judge. And he stopped and he looked at me and he said, have you ever screamed at your children? And I hung my head and he said, it's okay, I have too. But he said, did it work? No. He said, if I want people's attention in the courthouse, I speak very quietly so I know everybody's looking at me. So Brother Leonard, it is, it, you're right. Everybody's attention, but you have done well. Everybody has been very attentive. I know that's off of the subject. In Ecclesiastes 2, verses 4 through 11, Solomon says, I have everything. He had everything he wanted. He could have done a snap of a finger and he could have had anything he wanted. And he had everything he wanted. He says, I had everything I wanted. But he said, all is vanity. Things. Remember, social media puts things in front of us, makes us want things that we don't need. What is holiness? The state of being holy, dedicated or consecrated to God or a religious purpose, sacred. Dedicated. Holiness. 1 Peter 1, 15-16 But as he which he hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. 2 Timothy 1, 8-9, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness, of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I do believe that God wants us to be happy. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But I don't think he's concerned as much about your happiness as he is about your holiness. Where are you in front of Christ, in front of God, in your holiness? The reason I did want to continue in this is the next step here, and um, I know this, like I said before, this might not be the most favorite thing that you'll remember of this weekend, but we're going to step into some of the areas where you might be struggling, something that you might be dealing with, and I am, I am a firm believer in this, the mess you are in, get it, the mess that you are in, if you so think so, that something is really troubling in your life. I'm not condoning the sin, but are you willing to see it as a message from God? And some of you might be thinking, well, that's not biblical. Does God really bring things like that into our lives? We're looking at a little bit of a few scriptures where it does bring out 
that God does allow things to happen to us that not, might not be, that we might not feel is of a benefit to us. Everyone has a story. If you want your story to be a testimony, you have to accept the past. I know that is painful, and I know that is hard. There was a young man that was sitting in front of me in church, from church, and he had went through a lot of things, a less than to be desirable life, ended up in jail, ended up in counseling centers, ended up in long term. And one evening I looked at him, and he, he, he was so frustrated with himself for some of the things that he had done. And I looked at him and I said, you've got to get past this point. When I look at my life, there was times in my life that I would look at God and I would say, God, why? Why did you put me through that? Why can I not be victorious? But I know now why. Because I can sit down with young men. There's not a whole lot you can look me in the eye and say you're doing that I can't say I know how you feel. If you want your story to be a testimony, you have to accept your past and move on. Why is this biblical? 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. What he is putting you through, he is preparing you for the future. The other evening, Ada and I were sitting there talking about how things are going and some things we're dealing with and some th people we're working through with. And I looked at her and I said, it just seems sometimes it seems so hard to think what our grandchildren will be going through. And I shared it with somebody else and they brought up this verse. For such a time as this, Esther 4.14, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews for another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such excuse me, a time as this. Who's the giver of life? Somebody. Jesus, amen, good job. Do you think that the world will be able to clone humanity? I do not believe they will. 
I feel that God will bring this earth to an end before he lets his people do, the people do that. God is the giver of life. God does not just throw pregnancies out wherever he wants to put them. Pregnancies don't just happen. Even a rape case. Who gives life? There was a young man in our church who was the recipient of a rape case and he gave his testimony to us. He is taking care of the past. He has taken care of the past and he is walking the message that Christ has intended him to. You are not just born in this area era because you are born in this era because God wanted you to be in this era. You are stronger. I always say these young men and women who come coming through the era of having cell phones in their pockets and the struggles that they have, I get excited because you will be coming out more victorious and more stronger than myself. Because if I would have had what you had in your pocket, I'm not sure I would be here. Never, ever forget that. You are born for such a time as this. You're not just here because... hard for me to say that because if you are here and you have been abused I am not watering down what happened there's a good chance there is here they say in the day that we live in that four out of every one out of every four has been abused and that's for us as plain people sad to say I am sorry if you have been. But like we have been talking about all along so far, don't hide it. Talk about it. Let somebody know. You need to talk about it. If you don't talk about it, walls get built. They get higher. They get higher. They get higher. They get wider, thicker, stronger, harder to break down. I just found this online, a good friend of mine who had really, really been struggling in his life. And If you know him, no matter what story you've made up about someone, everyone is fighting for air. Everyone has scars. Everyone is wrestling with old stories and brutal realities. Comparing hurt is a foolish waste of time. Everyone is struggling, so choose kindness. I am not looking at you, if you are dealing with something like that, I am not looking at you and saying, snap out of it, get over it, come on, let's go. 
That's not what I'm saying. There's a reason that the Bible says forgiveness is how many times? How much is that? It's a lot. There's a reason for that. God just doesn't say just forgive and get over it. He says it's a daily thing. It's like me and the little finger I have. I don't think about it until I try to move that first joint and I can't. Doesn't move. So when I drink tea, I look like a lady. When I scratch my head, it doesn't scratch very good. Or when I'm working on a router, all of a sudden I say, whoa, I better be careful, that thing's in the way. So I'll tape it to another finger so it bends. If you are dealing with something that I am talking about, it takes healing. It does. If you are healing, you're in a good place. If it is consuming you, you're not. So talk about it. So much for that. Wherever you are at, being a missionary, wherever you are at, and here's something that I, I get a serious beef with right now in the Mennonite world. I love missionaries. I love if people go out. But the Mennonite world has created a missionary, being on the missionary field, a part of a bucket list, and that's not right. You get it? If you are here just because it was part of a bucket list, bless your heart, don't go home. Don't go home. We don't want to mess here. But I encourage you to find a reason that you are here, not because it's on your bucket list, but because God wanted you here. I've traveled a little bit, and sometimes I get, get, get really frustrated when I hear people say to the point of, if you've never been on the mission field, you're not going to make it to heaven. They don't say it in that way, but it comes forth that way. The Bible is very plain on that. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons for which the Father hath put into his power, but you his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And if you look at where he was standing and what he was talking about, he was saying, you need the power will come upon you right where you are at. The next one was 15 miles, the next one was 30 miles, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Somebody tell me, what is pure religion? Amen. I love missionaries. I do. But it's not a bucket list. I have been, it's been a short time that we have been in the ministry. And I have seen some people coming back from the mission field that went because it was a bucket list. And when they came home, they were the most unhandy people to deal with than you ever saw in the church. Lord help us. It's not part of a bucket list. If God touches you and tells you to go, praise the Lord, go. But if you never get touched to go, I am sure there are older people in your community, in your church, 
who can't get up and who can't get out, just take your Bible and go over there and read to them one night instead of go play in volleyball. Why do we need to go abroad and do what you are doing? We have nursing homes at home. Every one of you that are here as campers, I guarantee you there's a nursing home somewhere within your home within 10, 15 miles. Why can't you not be noted to be the person to go right in your own home, town, on Wednesday nights? You are the young man that walks through the nursing home with the Bible in your hand and reading for older people. I'm glad you're here. That's not what I'm saying. Pure religion is to visit the fatherless and the widows. Remember the video we watched last night about the little girl and the vulture? He talked about voices. I have a video I want you to watch. Very good video. Talking about voices. Everything we have talked up to now, we have been talking about what we can do to recognize that voice, to read your Bible. And I'm sure there's lots of voices talking to young people right now. I know there is. There's been two different false teachings coming out through our community at home and people have fallen. They have been listening to the wrong voices. Alaska doing a lawsuit. We're way out in the Aleutian Islands getting ready to leave and go back to Anchorage and then home. And I had a ticket in my pocket to get on an airplane. And a pastor came up and he said, listen, I can save you money. I said, how's that? He said, I flew a small airplane up here and I fly a small airplane and I can take you in my little airplane and you can save your ticket. And this did not sound, I said, gee, thank you so very, very much. But I've got this ticket. We'll just make our way on home, me and this other lawyer with me. He said, no, 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 you got to do it. You got to do it. And against every better judgment I had, I said, okay. Well, we went out to the airport, took us by his little plane and I looked at it. And I thought, well, one good thing, it's shiny. Then he walked around it. We got in. He's on the left front. I'm on the right front. The other lawyer's sitting right behind me. And he started it up. And it started up just fine. Well, we taxied out. I said, should we pray? He said, yeah, that's a good idea. We normally don't. I said, well, this time we're going <laughs> to. And I'm telling you, I prayed five, eight minutes. I prayed a long time. We went and got on the runway. He starts down the runway, the plane lifted off ever so gently, and we start climbing, and it's wonderful. Not a problem in the world. We started climbing, and we flew probably three, four minutes, and something happened that will never leave my mind. The pilot turned to me, and he said, we're going in the clouds, and I can't fly in clouds. They make me pass out. I said, clouds make you do what? Now, it's been cloudy all day. And we go right up into the clouds, and you can't see anything. And he looks at me, and his eyes roll back in his head. And he starts mumbling, and he passes out. 
passed out cold. Now I grabbed him and I shook him and I said, come on, you gotta wake up so I can kill you. Now we're in the clouds flying along with no pilot. And my friend in the back seat said, we're dead, aren't we? I said, there's a very good chance of that, yes. He said, what are we gonna do? I said, I don't know. But there was a radio right there and I handed him the microphone and I said, start asking for help. So he's in the back seat reaching up and he said, hello, hello. We didn't know any proper radio etiquette. All we were saying was hello. And somebody answered back, hello, hello. Don't you guys know proper radio etiquette? And I said, give it to me. I said, Tell we don't know nothing. Tell him we're in an airplane with a passed out pilot and we don't know how to fly this plane. The guy said, I'm a freighter flying out of Anchorage on the way to Tokyo. And he said, you're telling me you have nobody who can fly that plane with you? I said, tell him that's correct. Now you can understand, I am sweating bullets. He said, the first thing I'm gonna do is start circling so I don't lose you because I'll fly out of range of your radio and you won't have me anymore. And he said, I'm gonna get Anchorage Emergency for you. And Anchorage Emergency will be the people that can maybe help you try to save your life. After about five minutes, Anchorage came on, said, we understand you have a passed out pilot. And those of you do not know how to fly that plane. We said, that's right. They said, well, the first thing we gotta do is find you. And I'll never forget what this man at Anchorage said. He said, my job is to get you home safe. He said, that's my job. But he said, here's the deal. If you want me to get you home safe, you gotta promise me you'll obey my voice. He said, you can't see me, but I can see you. And he said, if you're not gonna obey my voice, you're gonna die. When you can't see anything, you have no idea how disorientated you become. Finally, he said, okay, I found you. Now hear me clear. He said, you're four minutes from a mountain. He said, you're gonna crash in that mountain and die. Follow my voice. I never said, I have to follow your voice? Is that reasonable? You see, I understood without his voice, I had nothing. And do you understand, without God's voice, you have nothing, nothing. Finally, he got us turned and he said, I'm freezing all the traffic in the area. He said, it's gonna take me an hour and a half to get you to Anchorage and there's a lot of weather between you and Anchorage. You're in for a rough ride. And he said, I want you to hear me. I don't want you to look at what's going on outside. I don't want you to pay attention to the storm, just my voice. He said, if you start watching the storm, you will die, but I'll take you through it. Now, because they cleared all the traffic, several pilots, those nighttime freighters, those 747s started talking to us. They said, we're praying for you, men. You're gonna make it, but listen to the voice. That's the key. They said, trust the voice. You realize your head is full of voices and everybody in this world wants to talk to you and everybody wants to be the controlling voice. And God says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to put yourself on the altar and let my voice be your voice. Finally, we went through the worst of the weather, but there was still more. And then the voice came back and it said, now, I'm gonna line you up. He said, I'm gonna bring you in right down the runway. And at the foot of the runway are some lights and they're in the form of a cross. He said, don't you forget this. The cross is the way home. Finally, he's bringing us down. We still can't see anything. And all he kept saying is stay with me. My sheep, the Bible says, hear my voice and they follow me. Finally, just a couple hundred feet off the ground, we saw the cross. 
I landed the plane. In fact, I landed it seven times. <laughs> Finally, it all came to a stop, and the minute we stopped, the pilot woke up. The voice said, thanks for listening. I watch them crash and burn all the time because they won't follow my voice. They don't understand I'm the one who can see them even when they can't see me. But they get the voices in their head and they kill themselves. They self-destruct. Thanks for listening to the voice. Then they put us in a motel room in about four in the morning. I knock at my door. And I open the door and a man was standing there. He said, hello, David. I said, you're the voice. You're the one who got me home. He said, I am. Do you understand one day you're going to stand before him and say, you were the voice. You're the voice that brought me home. If you're not on that altar as a living sacrifice, your head's full of voices. And then we wonder why kids crash and burn. We wonder why marriages are shattered. And the Lord's saying, I'm the one who has the voice. All I can remember is that voice saying, stay with me. Stay with me. Don't listen to what's going on in your head and don't watch the storm. Stay with me. And I'll take you through. Tonight you have a God who has promised to take you through. A living sacrifice, holy. That video is so packed. There is so much in that. I beg and I plead you young people to listen to the proper voice. Wherever you're at in life, whatever you are struggling with, don't focus on the storm, but focus on the cross. There's a reason for everything. I'm still not done. We will continue tonight, this afternoon, and hopefully go into, have one more session, and I am assuming what God wanted me to preach about today was not supposed to happen, so we won't. But we will continue with the mindset that we have here. I'll turn the time back over to Brother Leonard.